We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and I'm very excited about today's pod. This is an idea that I've been kicking around for a while. We always talk about the basketball gods and what pleases them and what does not. And I thought it would be fun to kind of do a series on the basketball gods. And I think that what that means, though, uh, requires a little bit of explaining on the front end. Today's going to be the first episode of that series. Uh, the, the gods in various cultures around the world have always been representative of something that governs the world around them, right? Like the god of the sea, the god of the sky, and, and things like that. And it doesn't mean that they're perfect and some, some gods are greater than others, but they are representative of a place or a concept. Uh, and so in this basketball god series, we're each going to rotate and pick a player that we just want to talk about for 35, 40 minutes that represents an aspect of the game that we think is important. And again, some are more important than others. We've been talking so much lately about this contrast between skill versus size, Phoenix versus Milwaukee, the Lakers build versus the Nets build, and how that is a real dynamic that's happening in the NBA is that as the league has gotten smaller, there has been some opportunity for the bigger, faster, stronger players to really thrive around the rim. And today we talk about the god of power, right? The guy who represents this idea to me more than anybody else of domination around the rim. And that is Shaquille O'Neal. I've got a Shaq video on the game two of the 2001 NBA Finals. He had a near quadruple double Darius, 28 points, 20 boards, nine assists, very underrated part of his game, eight block shots, which tied a finals record at the time, near quadruple double in a finals game. Lakers go on to win in that series in five. And it took me back, Darius, to I want to even talk, I want to start with him even before he began with the Lakers. His first year, I am, so he was drafted in 92. That was the first draft I was really into. I could still probably recite most of the top 10 of that draft and where they went to college, right? That was where my obsession with with the draft uh, came in. And a big part of that was from watching Shaq in college. But his rookie year, I'll never forget the Orlando Magic or playing the Phoenix Suns, NBA on NBC, classic Sunday game. 
he gets, uh, I, I forget who it is, drives and dishes to him, and he's in the dunker spot before we called it, before we called it that. He takes one step in and dunks, pulls the rim down, and we've seen dunks where the glass shatters or, you know, there was another one in, in uh, New Jersey with the New Jersey Nets where he tore, tore the whole damn thing down. This one, the basket kind of gave up. And he dunked it, and then it just kind of like slowly folded to the ground. And everyone, and I remember watching that as a 12, 13-year-old being like, this is the coolest thing that I've ever seen, right? Only jersey I've ever owned from a non-Laker. I loved Shaq. Darius, I would love to hear your experience with him. And what are your first memories of Shaq? My first memories of Shaq, those might go back to LSU, Shaq. Shaq is one of those players, and... Mike, I'd love to hear your perspective about this as well, because, you, you know, like we're all from sort of different parts of the country, even though Pete and I, we're both from California, we're not from the same part yeah, of California. California can mean like three, four different things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, and so the first time I saw Shaq was probably when he played for for LSU and he did not resemble the Lakers version of Shaq at all and it's almost like you can look at Shaq as sort of like three versions of Shaq or maybe four versions of Shaq like LSU and early Orlando Shaq that guy was almost indescribable in terms of it was what, like watching Thanos play basketball man it was what what is this guy well even that it's just like People today, they talk about Zion and Zion is sort of like Thanos, right? Like this sort of giant, like muscular right. dude. And Shaq was definitely big and strong, but he was lean, right? And, and so like you think of David Robinson, David Robinson was like ripped, right? And he had these massive shoulders and, and these giant arms. And it was sort of like, oh my goodness, this dude could literally like rip you in half if he pick, pick you up. Shaq was the most proportionate big man that I think I've ever really seen in terms of strength and, and just like his size, right? Like Shaq looked like a power wing, but he was seven foot one. Or so. And, and and so like he didn't have a, a super high waist. Like you look at these pictures of Wilt Chamberlain and his waist is like super high and, and his, yeah, legs his legs look like they yeah. go on forever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or you look at some of these other like old school players and like their their torsos are super long or their arms are super long. But Shaq seemed very proportionate to me. And the way that he moved, he moved almost like a wing. And the way he ran up, up and down the floor, but he was just so massive and he was just so strong. And so the, the reason why he was a phenomenon when he was so young is that it seemed improbable that you would have a player this big and this strong and that moved this way and if you only grew up watching him with the lakers or sort of late career like oh there's shack on the suns or on the Cavs or on the celtics that do that's why i say that there's like three versions of shack because early career shack lsu shack orlando shack that dude was different than even 2001 
Shaq, the mm -hmm. video that you're making and and late career Shaq. But Mike, am I making sense in sort of how I'm breaking down Shaq? Like I, I had just never seen a player like him. And this is coming off of the 80s and the early part of the 90s where it really was the golden era for NBA centers. And at that time, it's like Kareem, it's David Robinson's around that era. You had Ewing and and Elijah all of Wan. these and Akeem, right? And, and so all of these bigs are sort of out there as rivals for Shaq. But Shaq stood alone as something different to me. Yeah, and it's it goes to the point, uh, kind of the title and the way that Pete described the podcast about power. But it's just sheer size with Shaq. There's just nobody that was that big that was also that athletic and that to me is the difference between him and almost everybody else and i think wilt wilt stands alone in a lot of his own ways but that was the way that you would hear people describe wilt as well like well look he's just going to do what he wants out there and so when he's in the mood it's it's the same thing as as like um a kid's a kid's story about giants or something like when the giant's in the mood you know there's not much you got you can do you got to run you got to run the other way because this dude's coming um, <laughs> like get up the beanstalk dude you know and the thing if you if you look at his whole career that also what Darius said makes sense like Shaq's his the highest rebounding and block season that he ever had was his rookie year and that tells you something in his own right so he averaged 13.9 boards and 3.5 blocks his rookie year now there are some other statistics that are relatively the same like the scoring you know it's somewhere between 23 as a rookie and, you know, his his prime really ended in like 05, 06 and that he was just kind of holding on when he got to Miami. So about 20 points and nine rebounds in the year before that in Miami, um, you know, he got up as high as 29.7. That was his peak right in that 99, 2000 year. But the assist to turnover kind of stays the same. Like he never that's that was never going to be good for Shaq, partly because he was doubled all the time and just constantly harassed. And so it's, it's a lot harder to, um, to just make plays even when you're that big, but that, you know, that that's a whole nother thing we could get into his, his passing and it's just a turnover, but I, the, the sure. blocks and the rebounds to me were that represents the, just the speed that he had at that size. And the, and, and like that changed some as he leaned more into just the power. Um, and, and that's, that gets into the whole, Kobe Shaq dynamic as to like what peak Shaq really could have been versus what peak Shaq was. And like, was it good enough? Should he have achieved more? Should he have won more? But just the sheer size. And, and I didn't get to like, I had gone to some games as a fan when I was a kid in the nineties, like against the Timberwolves and you see him out there when you're up in the upper deck and it looks incredible, but you don't really get the sense until you see him up close and personal court side. And so my first year doing that was when I worked in the NBA, which was in 2006 and I still I still have never seen a bigger athlete. And this includes all the yeah. NFL offensive linemen, um, which is a whole that's the other. If you can ever get on an NFL field and watch those guys run out together. Um, I, I interned in a couple NFL teams and that's another thing. But Shaq was the only person that did that to me by himself. And, and that kind of speaks to what he is. This idea of power is we talked about his quickness and his athleticism like early on in his career. And that's super evident. But the power was always there. Yeah. That was the rebounds and block totals, those being his career high, his rookie year in Orlando, was actually indicative of the player that he was when he entered the league. 
this was back when players would stay two, three years in college, even if they were a top guy. Usually he went, he got to LSU a year early. He was 17 years old when he started at LSU. So he comes into the NBA. He's 20 years old, but has played three seasons in college. And he's pretty much just running the floor. He's, you know, dunking, he's running the floor like a wing. He's doing all of this this power stuff, catching lobs. And it takes Orlando from, I believe, the worst team in the league the year before to a borderline playoff team. They just missed it. And what happened was, this is back when the lottery was, gosh, was it 13 teams then? It wasn't 14 yet. It may have been 11. Um, they had the They had the worst odds of winning the lottery, but actually ended up winning the lottery. And so Penny comes the next year. It was actually, they drafted Chris Weber, Penny went third, and then they they uh, make trade. The Shaq and Penny years were wonderful. Again, my favorite non-Lakers basketball team of all time was those Shaq and Penny teams back then. And a big part of that was Shaq running the floor and just absolute domination around the rim. He comes back the next year and he's got jump hooks over either shoulder. And that it that progresses to the point where they were the one team to beat Jordan in a playoff series in the middle of the 90s. This is the year that Jordan came back, right? So he'd been playing baseball most of the year. Uh, He had that famous 55-point game at Madison Square Garden. But the year that Orlando went to the finals, they beat a team that had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen uh, in 1995. Nick Anderson misses the free throws. They get swept by, by Akeem and company. But Shaq progressed uh, in a way where he started to learn how to leverage the technique of his size. When he started out, he was running the floor, doing a lot of the hustle stuff that a guy that big that has a motor that's going on all the time. Those guys are devastating. That waned, that motor waned, especially during the regular season as he got older. But I would love to talk Darius about when we signed him. I will never forget that summer. There are two Lakers events in my life that completely ruined my sleep for about a month. The first one was Magic returning the year, and they both happened within about a year, right? Uh, The first one was Magic's return in the 95-96 season, right before we signed Shaq. And then the other was Shaq actually signing. I remember I had been... I'd been getting the newspaper every day. I'd been watching NBA Today with Mark Jones every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m., just trying to get rumors, right? It was such a different fan experience back then. And I'll never forget, my dad worked at Telemundo for like 35 years, right? And this is, they were affiliated with NBC. And so July 17th, I think, 1996, he calls me at like 6 in the morning. I hear the phone ring. This is back when we've got corded phones, right? And, and uh, no, no way to text or anything. But the phone, phone rings at six in the morning. I'm on my summer vacation. He says, hey, I think I, I've heard around here that they're signing Shaq today. Get out of here. News breaks around 2 p.m. Darius, what do you remember about the Shaq signing? Because that was a uh, an inflection point, a paradigm shift for a Lakers team that had been fun, but we are a first or second round team. We weren't at that point of championship contender. Shaq signs the only comparable signing in Lakers history is is LeBron coming here. I was going to make that comparison. I remember you texted me. I was driving when the Lakers signed LeBron and it was made official. And there had been rumors out there about LeBron. And, and then it's like, oh my goodness, like my kids and wife were in the car with me and they'll be able to tell you just like what my reaction was. In 1992, like you, you have to understand 
you mentioned like those moments, those were the moments that you mentioned, Pete, those are joyful moments. There was another moment that happened about five years before that, five and a half years before that, that also rocked our world as Lakers fans. It also involved Magic Johnson. Mm -hmm. And that's when he announced that he had HIV and he had to retire. Right. And then Magic played in the Olympics and then he played in the all-star game, but he did not come back to play for the Lakers. And there was that in-between period where the Lakers then were no longer the Lakers. They were not the Lakers of our youths, Pete. They were not the title contending team, but what they were eventually was a fun team and they were a team that you could get behind and a team that you could root for, right? Like they drafted Nick Van Exel as like a second round steal. They drafted Eddie Jones and fans loved Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones is one of those dudes that fans just loved him. And they drafted Anthony Peeler. They drafted George Lynch. They still had Vlade. Like those were good teams. They were fun to root for. They were fun and they were they were they were like almost like a mid-market team. Right. But they were the Los Angeles Lakers. And and so fans got behind them when they got Shaq. It was, oh, my God, we got Shaq and Shaq's going to play with this team. He's going to play with Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel and. They're going to win the championship. That was the idea. Like, they're going to win the championship. They got Shaq. Shaq had been in the finals. And yes, like that Orlando team, they had Penny, they had Horace Grant, they had a good team, Dan Nescott and and Nick Anderson. But Shaq was a generational player. We talk about the basketball gods and Shaq being the god of power, but the idea of who the best players are in the league at any given time. And Shaq was one of those guys. And for the Lakers to get him, it was unbelievable that now the Lakers are going to have that guy on their team. So I was just looking at the oral history you did of Dr. Voss a couple of years ago because I asked Jerry West about that moment specifically and like how it all came to be. And he gave a little bit of background and I'll, I'll just kind of paraphrase from it. So he goes, Shaquille and I started to talk on the phone. We sort of became friends. He'd call me every once in a while. At the end of the day, I said, I think we have better players around you here than you do in Orlando. I know you may not believe that, but trust me, we do. We drafted a kid who was going to be phenomenal. The day I saw you, I went over and told our owner, Jerry Buss, he has to wear a Laker uniform one day. In the process of this thing, I said, Jerry, this is going to be really costly. It's going to be completely out of line with what people have ever made in this league. One day you felt he was coming, another you didn't. Finally, Shaq says, if we can do this financially, I'll come. So I asked Jerry Buss, and I called Jerry, and I asked, Jerry, can we do this? He said, yes. I gave him Jerry's number. He called Jerry, and it was done. You know, Jerry West obviously deserves a lot of credit and a lot of just for the audacity of the idea and then the execution of it in when was a time, guys, where huge free agent moves like that, especially guys that were on teams and that were so like players that were so awesome at that age, they they weren't leaving that early in their contract. And imagine how devastating it would be to be that Orlando fan base. And here, you know, here we are now working for the Lakers. Like, yo, you remember that time Jerry West went and grabbed Shaq? Woo! Right. They had that infamous poll, right, of is Shaq worth 
seven years, one hundred and fifteen million. Uh, yeah. Like ninety percent said no. Yeah. yeah. In the in the way, and again, even just think about like the city and the way that it was put out there and the context of it. Like and now, if people had been asked, okay, but would you like? What if you had to lose him to the Lakers? You know, like it's it, again, it was one For poll. Sure. How many people? It, just the whole thing is, is so ridiculous. But then, uh, you know, and then you look, you guys were kids. I wasn't watching Shaq up until the point where they started getting to the playoffs, you know, so I didn't get to see a lot of those early Shaq times with the Lakers. But, you know, I imagine it was pretty fun. It, it certainly was. And we're going to take a break. And we're, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about Shaq's journey as the representative, as the god of power in the NBA when we come back after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So as you said, Darius, we signed Shaq and there's immediate expectations. We go from that fun, plucky team that was easy to get behind, young guys that run up the court, Van Exel, Eddie Jones, all that, to, hey, we expect to win the title now. We are we are back. The Lakers are back. Uh, one, uh, Jeannie Buss did a, a great interview on the, on the All the Smoke podcast, and one of the things that she said really stood out to me about – when Magic had to suddenly retire and her mentality of if we ever get a chance to have a player like that again, she's really going to cherish it. She knew what it meant to have that player and what it meant to lose that player. And I've always appreciated that approach toward the stars, right? Going forward in that, like we we really understand, I, I think, their value. And Shaq is one of those guys. But between 97 and the 99 season, it was rough, man. It was two sweeps by the Utah Jazz, or I think one was in five in 97. That's where Kobe airballs the the three or four shots at the end of his rookie year, you know, at the end of in game five, I think it was. And then you get swept by the Spurs. You get swept by Utah. There were growing expectations. And I, and I want to talk about the nature of the player that Shaq was and how he developed in that 
he got very good at using his shoulders, using his hips, uh, and understanding how to create space without necessarily getting all the way to the basket. But what do you remember, Darius, about those years before the title? Shaq, Shaq had an individual dominance to him, but it didn't always translate to the whole, the entire team come playoff time. I'm curious what you saw his struggles were because every player that I think is representative of a certain important aspect of the game kind of has to learn the counter to it a little bit more. Giannis is an example of this is how do I learn how to not necessarily go over the top of people, but go around them and use, uh, use skill and finesse when all of his natural all of his natural talents are built toward strength and power and speed and all of that. I think Shaq went through a similar process. And I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on how he refined his natural abilities. I was not alive during this time, but I would imagine it was somewhat like how the Lakers were after they had originally gotten Kareem. You've got this fantastic individual talent, but your team is not quite where you want it to be overall. And I think... One of the things, and we'll get to this when it comes to the Lakers getting Phil Jackson and finding more of a system that was going to help put things in the proper order. There was a certain amount of order that I think Shaq needed around him and a certain amount of structure that allowed him to flourish at a team level that did not and was not present during that stretch of time after he immediately came to the Lakers and before the Lakers got Phil Jackson. The interesting thing is that all of the championship teams during that window of time that Shaq had been in the league were either Michael Jordan titles or Hakeem titles. And there was this idea of, well, you can play a very specific way and you can win a championship. And there was a lot of still old school ideas about what was going to win in the league. And it was to me, I think looking back, very, a very simple and standard approach. And I think a player like Shaq suffered because of that without enough structure around him. I do not think that his team was going to thrive in that same way, unless he had more talent around him. Right. And so I look back at, at his Orlando years and it was Penny, I think, that really put them over the top. It was that perimeter player. And I think that the Lakers scuffled some because even though they did have Van Exel and, and Eddie Jones and like an emerging Kobe Bryant, they did not quite have all of that to put it together in, in a way that was actually going to maximize and optimize team success around Shaq. What I remember about him as an individual player, though, was very much a continuation of growth of the player that we had seen in Orlando. He was still a dominant force and he still dunked the ball a lot. And, and, and he was still an amazing talent in terms of getting shots off in the post. And he was way more skilled than I think what he was being given credit for, but the detractors were still coming for him because he wasn't winning. I, I, I Mike for for me, watching him play at that time, it was sort of just like, all right, well, he's basically doing everything that he can do, but he's still catching 
a lot of flack for losing. And I think that it was interesting to me because the way that they were losing, they're losing in five games and then they got swept in like back to back years. We would fall apart. Like the way that the Lakers fell apart at the end of the series after AD got hurt, that was something that when those teams got down, there wasn't a ton of resilience to bounce back. That was one of the frustrating things about watching them. Do you think that that was related to Shaq? Of course it is. Every team every team reflects their leaders, both good and bad. And also, I think Mike, this is something that is this is something that powerful players around the rim can be vulnerable to in that in the title years. Shaq was the main part of the offense, was the head of the offense for three, three and a half quarters. But one of the things that you usually see with even the most powerful players, even Giannis, who was the guy taken over down the stretch in terms of scoring in the clutch for Milwaukee? It wasn't Giannis. It was Chris Middleton. And the presence of a shot maker and a shot creator on the perimeter. That's one thing I've always found interesting is that even the very pinnacle of the most powerful players around the rim generally needs somebody to take over the last five minutes of a close NBA game in the fourth quarter. And this is to me still the difference. If you want to think all time between Shaq and just a couple players that are above him in the hierarchy. And that's, you know, it's LeBron, it's Jordan, it's Kobe, it's it's guys that can get to every spot on the floor and make a difference where they can go out and switch onto a point guard if they have to. If that guy's hot, they can put out fires. Um, they can double team a big inside. They can drive to the rim and get a big in foul trouble. They can pull up in the mid range. They can shoot threes and Shaq and a couple of the other just pure power players. And this is not to say that Shaq didn't have skill because he had plenty of skill. But there is a part that, that's just a a simple equation on the basketball court. And there were times that you could expose Shaq. Uh, There just are. There are times that you could expose almost any classic big man. And, and that, that to me is maybe that is the difference since Darius's point as to why he did really need the emergence of Kobe before they got the three peat, because guess what? When, when things would get like Shaq had dominated team physically for a while, and then Kobe would come in and finish and Kobe could do it from anywhere on the court. And he could also help you defensively. And he could switch over to guards. He could switch over to wings. Like he was Kobe, like maybe the greatest when he was young, those early years, the, like number eight Kobe, like the, the greatest sort of star in his role player of all time mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah, he was giving you 30 as well. Yeah. yeah while, while doing and so it's yeah. a, it's even it's ridiculous to call him a role player, but just in terms of the role that he played next to Shaq. Right. And what he had to do. And Shaq did some of that for Kobe. Like Shaq would really, you know, would really um, get the pinata really thin before Kobe had to come in and, and kind of just stick a little pin in it um, and have it drop <laughs> for sure. because he had beat on it for so long. But that, I think that speaks to, uh, to the, the limitations of somebody that's that size, as much as it can be a huge advantage. There also are a couple of things that you have to cover up for. And nobody was able to do that. Like Kobe. I love your point, Mike, about the ability to do stuff on different parts of the court on any part of the court. That was the funny thing about Shaq is that Shaq never liked leaving the paint on defense. And we had plenty of series where Troy Hudson, Mike Bibby, all these dudes would be killing us when Shaq is what we in what we call now a, a drop coverage deep in the paint. It would get into the last five minutes, though, and he would start coming out and he had the agility to do it. It just expended a degree of energy that I don't think he wanted to expend unless he had to. He was capable of doing that, but he didn't do that often. That said, Darius, your point about structure and putting structure around Shaq is really interesting to me because 
Shaq's dominance on the inside gave the Lakers and any team that he played on a level of predictability and a level of reliability in this certain aspect of the game. We are going to be massive and dominant around the rim. That doesn't mean that we're going to win. It doesn't mean that it's in that uh, that's a fail safe plan that you don't have to do anything else. But they knew every single game that they were going to win that battle because they had Shaquille O'Neal. I would argue that putting structure around that is easier because you know what you're getting every single game. You're going to be able to do this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how the triangle offense, and I would actually argue that it helped out on defense. Ah, I'll add my my two cents in this. I would love to hear your thoughts on how Phil Jackson, the triangle offense, and just the overall philosophies that Phil brought with him added that structure that you're talking about. Look, man, the triangle offense is really the triple post offense, right? And it's a way, it's... It's a style of offense to optimize post players. It's why Michael Jordan, in especially particularly in the 96 through 98 championship teams, he was a post player. And his bread and butter shot was that turnaround jumper from the, sh- from the shallow mid, well, mid post. And if you're going to optimize a post player, especially with what the defensive rules were like they were shifting right around that that time but they were not yet that shift did not yet lead to this renaissance of new ideas right it was like okay well right it's just like okay there's defensive three seconds now but what does that actually mean we wouldn't even know what that meant until like tom thibodeau is on doc river's staff in like 2008 and we start to see more strong side zone principles and and everything else until then it was just like okay well we can double team more freely now and not be penalized for it with a technical foul but the structure around Shaq and the triangle offense, I think, allowed Shaq to understand, not only do I know where I'm going to be on the court, I know where my teammates are going to be. And I think, compare it to like Hakeem's Rockets. The Rockets basically played a four-out a four out system with Hakeem in the paint. Right. And Hakeem always knew where his teammates were going going to be. You would see him throw kickout passes all over the court and just sort of spray it around whenever the double teams were coming, because his guys were going to be basically two guys are going to be near the shoulder top of the key area. And there's going to be guys in the corner like I know where my guys are. And I felt like one of the reasons why Shaq or Mike brought up Shaq's passing earlier his passing really got better and better as he learned and understood the triangle more and more because he knew where his teammates were going, going to be. And I think that that structure offensively allowed Shaq to say, all right, well, these are the actions that are going to get me into spots on the floor. And these are the spots on the floor where I'm going to catch, catch the ball. And these are the moves I'm going to utilize from these spots on the floor. And I'm basically going to be unstoppable. I'm going to be unstoppable here. And now that I know how I'm going to get to these spots, now I have counters off, off of that. The, the Lakers used to run center opposite actions where Shaq would be on the opposite side of the court and they would walk him across to ball side. And in that action, he would then either step right into the post and he would get an entry pass because he was immovable or 
he would spin off of that and then catch that lob when guys tried to get in front of him in order to deny that flash to to what will will to the strong side he had all of this great chemistry in terms of when he was on the weak side and it was two and it was two man action away from from the triangle and all of that handoff or flow into pick and roll action that that would come within the triangle and there was all of these things now that were just like these are great little toys that he had to play with within the context of what his natural ability was and all of that structure i think was perfect for him because he was so good and he was so dominant as an individual player that when you gave him all of the tools and and that organization around him to say this is how this stuff is going to work and and it's going to work be within the context of this of what are the defined strengths of your game already it was simpatico between him and phil jackson and tex winter and and the glories of that offense and in line with that again we've been talking so much about the power versus skill that it's not just a a two-sided paradigm i i want to add a third element to that and i think this is important in the lakers team building going forward is decision making whether you're a skilled player or whether you're a power player your decision making becomes essential and that was something that the triangle offense really codified a lot of basketball right it it took a a while for for everybody to learn but it was it made your reads like it made your reads algorithmic if they do this then you do that and Shaq's passing ability and Shaq's mental understanding of the game this is something that power players never get credit for in the league Mike is their basketball IQ right because us as mere mortals watch them dunking and breaking rims and destroying uh Chris Dudley or Greg Ostertag or whatever center of, of of the time that it was that we don't see and understand a lot of the decision making that goes into that and Shaq was you brought up his assist to turnover ratio which was not great but part of that was he drew a decent amount of offensive fouls because he was so big he's sending bodies flying god could you imagine Shaq in today's NBA where everybody's foul baiting and and trying to get the refs oh lord I'd be anyway um Shaq's decision-making as a passer in particular, I thought got better. And in doing that video on the 2001 Lakers in game two with the nine assists, he, he understood double teams. He understood how to manipulate a defense in a way that I don't think he gets credit for. I'm curious, Mike, in a broader sense, power players, when it comes to decision-making, how does that make a difference in, in the player that they are? Well, it's the whole Shaq discussion that, that I always think about in today's game. And we, we talk about the shooting and the spacing and how it would be dif- different. And it really peaked, I think, when Golden State was winning and somebody threw out the whole, OK, greatest team ever. And then we'll wait about what about the 2000, 2001 Lakers and the 15 and one team and Shaq at that age? And what would the Warriors do against that team? But could Shaq stay on the floor? And Pete, you already kind yes. of you, you already kind of push back against that some. But so this is. Part of this is with like the mental. You could say the same thing about the other side of the floor with the passing, but that's what I I am always super intrigued by. And I almost I think about this in the context of Kobe talking about it because it seemed like Kobe was always sitting there thinking, "Hey, you can be better even than you are. Like you can dominate even more if you want to." And Shaq would be like, "I'll do it when I have to." 
And, and for the most part, he did. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of the eternal debate. And so I, the way that I was introduced to all of it, you almost had to kind of like pick a side in a way about just which which belief system. Um, and I don't want to sure. and, and so I think now we're at a point where we don't have to like I'm trying not to think about it in that same context. But it does. It is interesting to me in that if this is the part with Shaq that's so uh, that's so tricky at times, if Shaq were totally in the mood, then I don't know if there was anybody that could do anything about it, including a spread offense like Golden State that wanted to do they wanted to shoot threes and they want to get switches. And it's like if Shaq just decided, no, like I'm not I'm getting out. Like, could he physically keep that up over the course of a year, over the course of a season? And I think the answer is yes. So like I'm officially picking the 2001 Lakers because I'm I'm but I'm having to project some onto Shaq really doing that for a full season. And so, Pete, I don't know if I really answered your question, but that is the stuff that I that I like to think about with Shaq and how like how he would transition. And and if you could get that peak Shaq for more than X amount of time and and like how that would impact the basketball. That's the thing. When you look back at Shaq's career year by year and his even his playoff performances, there was again, there is the whole Shaq versus Kobe dynamic that you touched on that that was a crappy part of being a Laker fan, man, was when that started to go down the kind of factions. And, and that's one of the reasons, honestly, I wanted to do this podcast is that Shaq, Shaq, it was, it turned into a Shaq versus Kobe type of thing. And Kobe was my guy growing up when he got drafted by the Lakers, he was 17. I was 15. Everybody else on that team was in their mid twenties. He was a guy that I could look up to. That was a little bit older than me. I didn't have an older brother. He was somebody who I could, you know, like, how does he approach this? And he was influential in the course that I took in my life. But, and I think that Kobe as a beloved son of the Lakers is that has minimized Shaq in a way that I am not comfortable with. And that I think is important to remind people that Shaq was that dude, Darius. And when we talk about, say, against the Golden State teams, if the choice for me is Draymond shooting open three-pointers versus whatever the hell they're going to do to try to defend Shaq around the rim, because I guarantee you Draymond sure as hell ain't, ain't doing it. There's just a, like, he's not strong enough. And Draymond is strong, and Draymond is strong for this era, but Draymond couldn't do anything with Shaq. And so if it's a battle between those two things, I, I think it's a fairly easy, uh, you know, easy outcome there. That said, Darius, give me your final thoughts on Shaq and what you remember him specifically through the lens of his power. He was just the most physically intimidating and dominant player I think I've ever seen, basically. And I've, I saw prime LeBron. I like, I I've seen some very unique physically gifted basketball players, maybe some of the most unique in the history of the league, right? When you talk about um, a Magic Johnson who redefined what a point guard could be as a 6'9 player or a LeBron James who is basically built like Karl Malone, but plays some hybrid version of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and Dr. J, right? Like there was never a player like him before, um, to Kareem and then to like Shaq. And I think about Shaq and there are so many things I think about when I think about his power, but his, we talked about his want. Mike has talked about his, his want. And there were times where Shaq wanted to hurt you 
he wanted you to be scared. He wanted to intimidate you. And the idea of, of he, MDE, right, it, which is what he would say about himself, most dominant ever. And a part, a part of that was the psychological warfare that he would employ as a big player. There were to- There's a lot of times where the big player does not want to hurt you. He does not like, he's been bigger his entire life. And I'm sure that big, when you're bigger your entire life, I bet you get told like, hey, take it easy on these dudes, right? Like, don't hurt them. You're bigger than them. I bet Shaq heard that a bunch or he would have. And when he got to the NBA, I think like, and when he was at his best, particularly with the Lakers, it was just like, nah, man, like there's going to be times where I'm going to show you that I'm going to knock you down. Like some of the plays that stand out to me the most aren't like the championships or anything else. It was when a guard would drive in and Shaq would like literally jump into him with his arm. Like Shaq would turn and he would put his hand way up in the air like, oh, I'm going to try to block this shot. But he wasn't trying to block the shot at all. What he was doing was he was turning himself into a big old wall and he just smacked into you and he would Mm -hmm. knock you down. He would just knock you down and then he'd stand there. He wouldn't reach to help you up and he would look at you sort of writhing on the ground and he would, and that was the idea of, yeah, you come in here too many times and this is what's going to happen to you. And there were times too where he, he'd get fouled a bunch and he would just hold back and, he, and he'd hold back and then you fouled him wrong one, one time and he would rip through with his elbows the next time and you would go flying. And it was the idea of, I'm going to play nice with you until I don't want to anymore. And it's that idea of want Mike. Darius, isn't this the same? Well, okay. I should speak for myself. I'm curious for you though. This is basically how it is when I play my kids in the backyard. Like I, (laughs) you are the shack of the true. I like I, I obviously you can't play your full speed. Okay. Against a child. But if that child disrespects you and and disrespects the game in a sense, and whether they're talking trash or whether they're like, if they really think they're about to beat you and like, then you do some, that's when you do that part of the Shaq has to come out a little bit. And I equate this to Shaq on inside the NBA. Okay. So Shaq will be sitting in his chair and he's having fun, but once Barkley and it always happens, Barkley will poke him and then he, almost immediately threatens physical violence. Like you, every time you, so that is what Shaq is. And I think that that goes to his whole career. Like in, in Darius laid out the point really well, like you're, I, I am, I am here. I am King Kong, but I'm going to, uh, or Hulk, I guess is even a better way to put it. Like I am going to be here, but as long as you respect the hierarchy, as long as you know that I will go to it when I need to, then we're good. It doesn't, I don't have to turn green right away but if you if you really do disrespect that then you're going to get the hammer and the hammer can't be there when you're that big the hammer can't be there all the time or you're not going to have a happy life and just but just look at the success he's had in general in his life like 300 million playing basketball all of the entertainment all of the ads all of the ads now his his role growing on inside the nba when it was tough at first the first couple of years were kind of a transition and like he 
he seems happy. Like he's got all of his kids that Barkley likes to joke about. So I, um, I, I, I kind of get it. I get the whole Shaq package, but it's just, uh, it's something that always crystallizes to me the second that you poke him. And even to this day uh, that then he's going to come after you. Yeah. And that when Pete, when you're asking me about the power, that that's what I think of. It's all of the times that he said, nah, man, I'm giving it to y'all this time. And he didn't have to do that every single time. But when the stakes were high, he really would sort of lock in and say, you know what? Like, I'm going to be unstoppable now. And that's when the blocks and the rebounds and the more physicality around the basket and like, I'm going to go win the game now. And he had so many of those moments as a Laker that it'd be criminal, criminal to not, not just not like acknowledge, but not appreciate everything that, that he was because Kobe was instrumental and the Lakers do not win those championships without Kobe. Like you, people would would argue like, oh, if they had any number of X wings, Tracy McGrady, right? Vince Carter, those dude didn't didn't play defense the way that Kobe did. Kobe Bryant was an animal. He was a monster all by himself, and there was a special quality that Kobe had that the those Lakers teams. The Shaq-led Lakers teams needed that version of Kobe Bryant, I think, to win. But the first part of that sentence should not be ignored. Those were the Shaq-led Lakers teams. Those were Shaq's teams. For good and for bad at times, mm-hmm. those were Shaq's teams. And when and they won, they won with his personality. They won with sort Great of the, the gregarious power physical dominance whereas when you look at the 09 and 2010 championship teams those teams won with kobe's personality right they won with that dogged determination they won with the with with the idea of we're going to fight and and we're never out out of it and there's a confidence and there is a a we're going to strike and we're going to take this now shaq seemed inevitable and that inevitability came from his power. And it's fitting, I think, Pete, that you wanted to start this series with him specifically because there is really no other player in my lifetime that epitomizes that idea more than Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, Shaq knew how to be big, and not every big player knows how to be big. He mastered the technique of power. That's one thing that going back and watching the tape as an older person who knows a lot more about the game than I did at the time, and he was so good on his drop steps and his footwork and he knew how to use his shoulders and hips and elbows and all of the parts of him that made him big he knew how to leverage them and he also understood the he also understood the the mental aspect of the game and how to manipulate defenses and there's always been this thought and I can be guilty of this as well that Shaq left a title or two on the table But when you go back and look at how those series went, that he was usually a a relatively high performer. Uh, He was not usually the reason why that we got knocked out early, Um, at least on on the court. Right. I would argue that 
the there's a certain amount of resilience that comes from your leader and for example the 2010 Lakers being down 3 to 2 in a series against the Celtics how do you react to that if you lose Anthony Davis in a seven game series do you rally back or are you down 30 at halftime in each game right there's there's part of that that I do think that is attributable to your leader as you said the team's won with their various personalities but Shaq epitomized power like you said more than any player in in my lifetime. And I'm, I'm really glad that we got to talk about him. I've really loved doing this. Darius, you got the next one. Uh, you've got the next basketball God uh, to nominate for the next time we do this, which I don't know when that will be. We will be back next week. We've got the draft, got a lot of interesting rumors out there. Don't we? Um, <laughs> we got the draft and free agency uh, coming up not too long after that. So once it's appropriate, we'll get to our next basketball gods pod. But until then you've been listening to Laker film and podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.